Good to see you this morning. Is it? All right. Take your word for it. It is good to see you. Glad to see a packed house. Uh, for those who are visiting, uh, supporting somebody being baptized, you're very welcome in our services. And uh, even after today, if you don't have a church home, welcome you back. And I want to extend a special welcome to our kiddos. It's a family worship weekend, so that means we've got a, uh, a high number of kiddos in the service with us. Um, kids, we're glad you're here. And I uh, hope that you uh, more than just are here, but you're actually here, and you're able to see how mom and dad uh, sing to Jesus, and how mom and dad listen to God's word being teached, and how mom and dad respond to Jesus, and that's why we invite you into the services. Mom and dad, I want you to know your kids are not a distraction. We love the energy that they bring into this room when they join us, and so um, while I know it's, it's hard uh, when kids are getting kind of wiggly, it's okay. We expect it today. Uh, we're super excited to have the kids with us in this special family worship weekend service. All right, we're going to get into the word quickly. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3. And while you turn to 1 John chapter 3, this is towards the end of your New Testament, not to be confused with the Gospel of John, which is early on in the New Testament. This is towards the back, closer to Revelation. 1 John chapter 3, you flip there in your Bible or on your app, on your widget, on your... uh, iPad, your Kindle, your iPhone, your smartphone, and whatever else you've got. While you're turning there, a couple of announcements. One, uh, as Ken prayed, we have a Philippines team that is on the ground. Boots are on the ground today. They've completed day one. Uh, They're sleeping right now. When they wake up, they're going to head out for a pretty difficult, uh, I don't know if it's a hike slash motorcycle ride, but it's going to be like a two-day journey to a tribe. And so they've asked us just to be praying specifically for that. Um, for the next couple days, um, for Jeff and Randy Sanders and Daniel and Amanda Bray as they put the backpacks on and uh, pull on their hiking boots and head out to a village that they've never met before. And so um, I want to give you an update on that. Last thing is this uh, Wednesday night is uh, men's ministry, 6.30. Um, we are really excited about what God is doing in our church and specifically in men's and women's ministry. Um, Lewis Mattingly has, has, has taken the lead on men's ministry this fall. If you haven't come to a meeting, I encourage you to do so. Um, God is leading through Lewis, um, us men, um, not just just to be better people, but into our right positions as leaders in the home and leaders in the church, and more importantly, into our identity in Christ. And so, men, I want to invite you to come join us this Wednesday night at 630 as we continue that. All right. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, I'm going to read a couple verses to you, the first three verses, and then we're going to... I'm going to talk for just a minute. So let's start in verse 1, this this letter from John. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Now. And what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he, being Jesus, is pure. What we're going to do today before we get to the baptisms in the service, we're going to talk about living in the in-between, okay? So if you've got your sermon notes there, you looked and at the, uh, the title of the message, and you saw living in the in-between. It's a kind of a strange phrase, isn't it? Living in the in-between. So what we're going to talk about today is living as 
Christians in the tension of not yet what we will be one day, okay? Not yet what we will be one day, okay? Now, let me phrase it and frame it this way, and I think you can relate. There is a a certain frustration that happens in the Christian journey once you begin to realize who you're supposed to be and even who you want to be in Christ who you aren't yet, okay? Let me me share with you my own personal story. Um, I was thinking back this week to my baptism story. I was 16 years old and hadn't really been around church life a whole lot and hadn't really watched a whole lot of baptisms, but what I was gathering Um, from the sermons I was hearing and why I need to be baptized was that after baptism, there was a certain expectation on my life that I now would be perfect. And to be honest with you, that was a fear of mine, okay? I was fearful of being up in front of people. Most of us can relate. But the deeper fear was that after I was baptized, after I came out of the closet as a Christian, Now people are going to expect something of me that I couldn't deliver. And so my response to that was I was baptized and I started living the facade. I started playing church. Some of you can relate to this. There's this expectation that now I've got to be perfect. I know on the inside I'm not perfect yet. I'm still wrestling with some things. I'm struggling with some things. There was this tension, this frustration. And so the way I dealt with it is I pretended to be better than I was. Anybody relate with that? Okay. And so what we're talking about today is that tension of living in the in-between. I'm saved, but I'm not yet perfect on the outside. And I think we can all relate with that frustration on some level. So the way that John starts this conversation is he says, he calls us children of God, and he says twice, We are children of God, so we are. And then he says again in verse 2, we are God's children when? Now. Now, let me put this in context. Because if you go back two chapters in this letter to verse 8, John's going to say something about sin that I think we need to hear. Okay, So we're going to go back to just two two chapters before this and look at two verses. Because I want you to see this clear framework, this clear tension that John's describing here. So if you go back two chapters to verse 8, John says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You lie to yourself. Okay? So he continues, and the truth is not in us. However, if we will confess, own our sins, admit our sins, right? Bring them to Jesus. If we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, though. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So when I as a Christian, right, have been baptized and I start pretending like I don't sin, I've first of all lied to myself. I'm trying to deceive myself, right, because I know the truth. And, and the reality is people on the outside looking in, right? I mean, who am I really fooling anyway? But the second thing that happens is I am making God out to be a liar. Now think about that. Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross to do what? Forgive us of sin, right? And so if I say I don't have sin in my life, then I'm saying, right, 
God, you're a liar. I don't need, I don't need Jesus. And so John frames this conversation by saying, listen, listen, what I'm not saying is that you don't have any sin in your life. However, if we move to chapter 2, 28, right before the passage we read originally, look at what he says. Starting in verse 28, now little children abide in him. That's the, it literally means to live and remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Now, why in the world would we be tempted to shrink in shame when Jesus appears? Here's why. Because at that moment, the facade is exposed. Like, there's no more pretending when you stand face-to-face with Jesus. And John's acknowledging because there's this residual struggle in your life, the temptation is going to be to be ashamed, to go, I'm not good enough to be in your presence. Okay? So he said, let's not shrink back in shame. And then he says in verse 29, if you, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born in him. Which one is it, John? Are we all still sinning and struggling with sin, or are we righteous? So John is saying in one breath, hey, 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 don't, don't pretend like you don't have sin in your life. You're, you're, you're lying to yourself, you're lying to God. At the same time, he's saying, however, this growing righteousness in you is a testimony that you know him. So don't pretend to be without sin. However, he's encouraging us towards righteous living. This is living in the in-between. Whenever, um, I don't know about you, but when I get discouraged in my own Christian journey, like struggling with, with the sin that I thought was already gone and it sneaks its way back into my life again, it's like, ah, oh, I get frustrated. Like I thought that was gone. Like I've already come to the front and confessed that. I thought that was gone. And I get frustrated. And one of the things that happens is all of a sudden I begin to feel just, just really unworthy. And so what I do oftentimes, I go back to the scriptures and I, I reread the gospel, which we're going to look at in just a minute. I, I let the scriptures preach the gospel to me again. But another thing that I do is I go look at um, the Christian leaders of our faith from the past who I respect, and I go read their diaries. I don't know how many of you keep diaries, but uh, before Facebook and all this, you know, technology we had, people used to actually write things down on paper. And then once they passed away, you could read what they thought. And so I go back and I read the thoughts and the struggles of Christian leaders. So I'm going to read a couple of those to you here today. I'm going to start with Martin Luther. This is not King Jr. This is Martin Luther, a German monk, theologian, pastor who helped spark the biggest reformation uh, in church history. Okay, And so he's a guy that I, I look at and I look up to as like a diligent man who studies God's word, uh, understands what Christian living is supposed to be about, about. However, when you go back and read his diaries, like R.C. Sproul will, will ask the question, was he a, a lunatic? Like, like he just seems to be just struggling and, and, and like his, his private prayer time is like, just like him wrestling with this struggle with sin. Let me just share with you a few words from Martin Luther. He says this, he says, when I was a monk, I tried with all diligence to live according to the rules. Anybody ever done that? But he's still doing that? Tried to live according to the rules. And I used to be contrite to confess 
and to assiduously perform my allotted penance. That's fancy talk for saying I played church. I did everything that the church told me I was supposed to do right. I did it all. And yet my conscience would never give me certainty. So I would play church, but at the end of the day, I would lay down my head on the pillow, and I would be unconfident. I would be filled with doubt. Playing church didn't do anything for me. He says, I always doubted, and I said, you didn't do that correctly, Martin. You were not contrite enough. You left that out of your confession. Have you ever done that? Like, you're going through all the sins. You're like, ah, oh, I don't want to forget anything. Did I, rem- did I remember that? I'll just do it again, just in case. Like, have you ever been caught up in that legalistic system where you've got the list of all the do's and don'ts and you check them off every day? And that's what he's saying. I did it all. And then at the end of the day, I would say, you know what? I just didn't do it enough. And then he goes on to say, the more I tried to remedy a weak and afflicted conscience with the traditions of men, the more I found it each day more uncertain, weaker, and troubled. The harder he tried to live the Christian journey on his own strength by doing the right thing, by playing church, the more and more he actually doubted his own salvation. He'll go on to say this. After being a Christian for 20 years, this is what he writes. I myself have been preaching and cultivating grace for almost 20 years. And I still feel the old clinging dirt of wanting to deal so with God that I may contribute something so that he will have to give me his grace in exchange for my holiness. Martin said, after 20 years of teaching God's grace, I still struggled with receiving it myself. I wanted to barter with God. I wanted to trade. I think we know this all too well. If you'll, just, God, if you'll just do this for me, God, I'll do this. It's the barter system. I'll take your grace, God, but in exchange, I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start living my life right. I'm going to start doing all these things. I'm going to exchange grace for self-righteousness. He said, man, I struggle with this after teaching grace for 20 years. Still, I cannot get it into my head that I should surrender myself completely to sheer grace. Yet, I know that this is what I should and must do. This is a theologian of theologians. The guy who wrote the book on grace and taught it daily is saying, after teaching it for 20 years, I still struggle to receive it myself. I wanted to bargain with God. I think we can relate to that, can't we? I'll, give, I'll take the free gift of grace, and then we pay him back for it, or we try. And, and this is what we know. That is a frustrating cycle, isn't it? When you begin to trust in yourself, you frustrate yourself every time. I go to the words of C.S. Lewis. He's a little bit more modern. Um, he's a, a Christian author, wrote a lot of Christian fiction, also wrote some books like Mere Christianity. Um, it's his apologetics on Christianity, it's a little bitty, very thick read, mere Christianity. I encourage you to stick it in your library and try to read it. About every three years, I'll reread it. Take a few months, a little bit at a time, and kind of reread it. Um, This is what uh, C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. He says, the Christian does not think that God will love us because we are good. Okay, let that sink in. 
The Christian does not think, and, and let's just rephrase that, should not think that God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. You see the difference? When we bargain with God, when we try to do things on our own effort, what we're saying is, I'm trying to get God to love me. Okay? Let me just share with you um, a reality. Coming to church today, I'm so blessed that you're here, but coming to church today does not make God love you more. Let that sink in. Uh, Giving money to churches or nonprofit organizations or to the poor to the homeless, those things don't make God love you more. Surrendering your life to foreign missions, going to the Philippines to a remote village to, uh, to sacrifice your life so that some might be saved, that doesn't make God love you more. Here's why. He can't love you any more than he already loves you. And it has absolutely nothing to do with your merit or your works. Like, we need to hear that. That's the gospel, don't we? So then I go to the words of Paul. Uh, The apostle Paul, he writes a lot of the New Testament, and he writes this beautiful, rich theology, and every once in a while, he gets on like a rant, like a, he gets kind of off the path and just kind of vents his thoughts and feelings. He does this a lot in the letters to the the Corinth church. And in Romans uh, 7 He does it, and I want you to listen to Paul's struggle. Just one verse from Romans 7, verse 15, and see if you can relate. This is the Apostle Paul, okay? This is is not a brand new Christian. This is the guy who's writing most of the New Testament, verse 15 of Romans 7. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. Anybody relate to that? And then look at what he says. For I do not do what I want. So being good for Paul is not that he doesn't want to be good. It's just that sometimes he's not doing what he wants to do. But then look at what he says. But I do everything I hate. Can you relate to that frustration? It's not that I don't want to. It's that I find myself not doing the things that I sometimes want to do and, and know I ought to be doing. But the flip side of that is, in place of that, I often find myself doing the things that I hate. Oh, what a frustrating, vicious cycle that is. If you've ever gone to the Lord and said, God, forgive me of this, take this away from me, only to go out the doors of the church two hours later and to be sucked right back into the same thing. Why do I do the things I hate? If you keep reading just a few verses down in uh, in verse 22, Paul just tells you straight up. He says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. It's not that I don't like holiness. It's not that I don't like the law of God. That's not the issue here. It's not that I don't want to be good or want to be righteous or want to be holy. The problem is, in my own strength, I can't accomplish it. And Paul says, that is frustrating, living in the in-between. But I want us to take note of what Paul does, okay? And so look down to just a few verses to verse 24. This is Paul. He's venting. So frustrated. I can't do the right stuff. I keep doing the wrong stuff. Look at verse 24, what he says about himself. Wretched man that I am. 
That's, that's a way of saying, full of sin and without hope. That's how I feel right now. Wretched. So then he asked the question, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then watch what he does. He preaches the gospel to himself. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I still serve the law of sin. He's saying, here's, here's how I reconcile all that. I preach the gospel to myself. Praise be to Jesus. And it's no mistake that Romans 8.1 is the very next verse. Look at what he says. Therefore now there is what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Does that word now sound familiar to something we read a little bit earlier today? So Paul's saying, I'm living in the in-between. I'm wrestling through this. I'm trying to, I'm working on getting better. And, and the more I do it in my own strength, the more I fail. And, oh, it's just so frustrating. And I'm such a wretched man. What, who can save me from this? And then he answers his own question. It's like he asked the question just so he can hear himself say the gospel. Praise be to Jesus. Because right now at this moment, in my wrestling, there is no condemnation. talking with one of the, um, the men who was baptized in the first service today. We were talking this morning, shared his testimony with me. And, uh, and, and man, what a testimony of just being in some rough places. He shared it in the first service, addicted to drugs, um, heavily addicted to alcohol, um, heavily addicted to some other things. Um, it cost him his job. Uh, he works now and did then for a good friend of mine in the construction business. And, uh, and, and, and this guy's a believer, but had to let him go. It just got so bad. Then his wife leaves him. He loses his family, lost his job. Now he's living on the streets down here. And he said he was just walking down the street one day, and a guy walked up to him and said, hey, can I share with you the hope of Jesus? And he's like, I guess. And the guy's like, here, just, just try it. Let me share it with you. Just try it. And so this man shares the gospel with, uh, with Keith, who was baptized in the first service. And uh, he said, so I went home that night, closed my eyes, and prayed. And he said, it was like the biggest wave of peace just washed over me. Next day, I went and checked myself into rehab. A week later, my wife came and visited me. And God began to put my life back together after I became a Christian. And he keeps sharing the story. He says, so then I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a job, so I called the guy back. He was a believer. He said, hey, can I have my job back? I'm a changed man. He hired him back, and consequently, he started working with Mark Barnes, who goes to church here. Mark started inviting him to church, and uh, guess, guess where he shows up? Here at Solid Rock. New creation, believer in Jesus, has been changed so much, but still being changed. He expressed that this morning in baptism. What a beautiful, beautiful story. And what I said to him this morning, I said, here's the thing. If there's any residual shame or guilt, I mean, you shared some pretty heavy stuff with me, but if there's any shame or guilt still attached to that, today you need to hear something. And I quoted Romans 8.1. I prayed it over him. Today there is now zero, none at all condemnation in your life. Now, while you're living in the in-between, right now, there is none. Then he expressed that in baptism to the whole first service. It's beautiful. Let's go back to 1 John 3. As you turn there, I just want to share with you what I think the root of the problem typically is for us. I think it's, it's a theological problem. 
And oftentimes people will say, why, is, why does theology matter? Um, here's, here's, a, here's a reason why it matters, okay? Here's where right theology matters. When we get frustrated with the fact that we try hard and don't accomplish what we set out to accomplish, or we try hard to not do something, we find ourselves doing it again, who are we trusting in? Ourselves. Okay? So if you find yourself getting frustrated with yourself, right, at that moment you need to recognize something and go, whoa, 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 I'm frustrated with myself because I'm trusting in myself. See, this is where right theology matters. Let me just share with you a few words from uh, Paul and then the author of Hebrews about this process that we are in in the in-between. In 1 Corinthians 13, you don't have to turn there. We'll throw this on the screen. Starting in verse 11, Paul says this. He's talking about when he first became a believer and he compares himself to a little child. Okay? So he says, when I was like a child, I spoke like a child and I thought like a child. However, as one of God's children, okay, I'm not a child anymore. A reason like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now think about that. This is Paul saying, here's how I became mature in Christ. I gave stuff up. Okay? I didn't become mature in Christ from working harder. I became mature in Christ from letting go of stuff, which is really the opposite of effort if you think about it. Right? It's really the opposite of effort. It takes effort to hang on to our sin. It takes effort to cling to things, right, in our lives. And so he says, here's how I became mature. I I let go of childish ways. I let go of stuff. Look at what he says, verse 12. For now we, talking about our Christian experience, living in the in-between, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. What's he talking about? He's talking about the return of Jesus. Like he's looking forward. He's saying, right now, I'm one of God's children, but I see things kind of blurry. Look at what he says. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That's how Paul describes this living in the in-between. Then you go into his writings, like in Ephesians 2, verse 10, what does he say? For we are God's worksmanship. Think about that. Who's, Who's the worker in that? God is. Who's the worksmanship? We are. Okay? Paul wants us to understand that. God's the one working on you, not you. Matter of fact, if you start working hard, you're probably going to fumble things up. Because why? Because you're trusting on yourself. Paul will say in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion... Did you hear that? Who began the good work in you? God did. Who's going to finish it in you? Then why in the world do we act like he just gets us kick-started for the day with a quiet time, and then we take it from here? That's how we operate in the Christian faith. It's why I was so scared about letting the church know I was a Christian. I was afraid of what would happen if I took it from here. I knew I was going to wreck it quickly, and I did often. Paul wants to say, listen, listen, he's the one working in you. He's the one who's going to complete this work in you. But look at what he says here. He's going to bring it to completion when? 
When? Yeah, at the return of Jesus. Which means from the day I get saved until Jesus comes back, I'm living in the in-between. I am becoming more each day what I already am in Christ. The two things God does when you get saved. He he reaches into your soul and he collects everything that is tainted with sin. Everything. The shame, the guilt, the deep, dark secrets. He takes it all and he extracts it out of your life. But then he does something else. He takes his righteousness and he clothes you in it. Did you know that at salvation? God takes the penalty of your sin, but he also gives you his holiness. You don't earn it. Like Paul, over and over, you go read Paul's letters. It comes up in every one. The righteous are saved by faith, and they live by what? Faith. It's Galatians, Ephesians 2, if we start it in verse 8, right? We are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of your own doing. Why? So that nobody gets to boast. God saves God matures, he grows, he sanctifies us in Christ. Now, if you're getting this image in your mind, okay, well, then here's what we need to do. We need to go get some lounge chairs and just go sit at the beach and just lay out and let the Holy Spirit change us into these holy people, okay? It's not at all what the Scripture's saying. Like, we go back to John, and John's going to say, uh-uh, you need to be striving at this holiness thing. Okay? So how do we then participate in what God is doing? Listen to this. It's so profoundly simple. We are saved by faith. You get to do that. You get to believe in Jesus. We also get to let go of stuff. A lot of effort there, like let go of stuff. But there's a, second, there's a third part of this too. We see this in Hebrews 12. I want you to listen to how the author of Hebrews describes this living in the in-between. This is the third thing we get to do. Therefore, since we are surrounded By so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Does that sound familiar? He's going to compare living in the in-between as like a marathon. And as you're running the marathon, here's what you need to do. You need to start dropping weight, letting go of stuff. So we lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, so he's telling us there's a finish line. Who are we looking at? Jesus, who are we running to? Okay. Look how he describes him. The founder and the perfecter of our faith. Do you you not think that the author of Hebrews and Paul want us to get this? He began the work in you, and he's the one that's going to bring it to completion. So what's my part? Okay, what's my part? I love it. Uh, This is... This is John 3, this conversation with Nicodemus when, he said, when Jesus says, you know how Moses raised the staff in the wilderness and there was a serpent on it and the people looked at it and they were healed? So must the Son of Man be raised up. Here's what Jesus is saying. All you need to do is look at me. That's it? That's it. Look at me. Isn't this what, what Paul is saying? We run the race. What are we looking at? Jesus. When we get off track, what has happened? We quit looking at him. That, that's it. So we go back to 1 John 3. 
See what kind of love, I'm going to start in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. He wants you to see it. That we should be called children of God, and then look at this phrase. And so we are. Not will be, are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children when? Now. While you're living in the in-between, while you're struggling, while you're every day becoming more and more and more like Jesus, you're doing that as one of God's children. And so we are now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Okay? So now what's he doing? He's, take, he's taking our thoughts. He's, he's making us think to the future. So what we will be has not appeared. But we know that when he appears, who is that? Jesus, we shall be what? Like him. What's it going to take to transform us completely into Jesus? All he has to do is show up. So living in the in-between is that living in between the moment of when you first give your life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit seals you, like we read about in Ephesians 1, transforms you on the inside. God takes the sin out of your life. He puts his holiness in you. That's day one. Okay, which is a glorious day. We're going to sing about that in just a minute. And then the waiting, the becoming, the growing, the process that we call sanctification until he appears and finally makes us complete. So like young people, teenagers, you want to know how to live a holy life in front of your peers? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Wait a second, I thought I needed to be more honest. I needed to be more like spiritual and read my Bible more, keep your eyes on Jesus. You can't do that without prayer and reading the word, right? It's all included. But don't think that reading your Bible makes God love you more, okay? Because you are God's child now, set your eyes on Jesus and just start walking at him. And every time he reveals sin in your life, just let go of it, let go of it, let go of it. You need to hear that. I think the, the, the message sometimes gets confused in the church to our young people. You need to be good so God will love you. It's just not true. God can't love you any more than he already loves you. He loves you in spite of you. Right? Yeah, praise God. And so look at what he says. He finishes then. When he appears, we will be like him because, here's the reason why, we shall see him as he is. What Paul is saying right now, I just kind of see dimly. When I get to that day, I'm going to see him clearly. John says, yep, I'm going to see him clearly. And guess what? At that moment, I'm going to become what I have been becoming this whole time. Finally, I'm longing to get rid of this sin struggle. Finally, finally, I will be made perfect. And he says in verse 3, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You, you need to hear that today. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You understand the frustration of living in the in-between, trying harder and failing, trying harder to do and not doing, trying harder to not to, to do and then not doing. Okay? And when you feel that frustration, you need to take a step back and go, whoa, have I got the theology right or wrong? Am I trying to do these things so God will love me more? Or am I doing these things because I really grasp how much God loves me? That's different. 
Am I doing these things because I'm trying to become a child of God, somebody that he'll just let into his family, like I'm trying to make the cut? Or am I pursuing righteousness right now because I already am a child of God, every day becoming more of what I already am? Let me share with you just one last illustration to hopefully help you and I grasp this living in the in-between. Um, my oldest son, Hudson, who's right over here, he's five, he discovered pecans um, last week. We have some pecan trees on the campus, and he went out to a tree. He's like, Daddy, come here, come here. I'm like, what? He's like, what are these green things? I'm like, what are you talking about? So I go out. It's a pecan tree loaded with pecans, and they're still green. And so I'm like, well, Hudson, that's, that's a pecan. Of course, the question is, what's a pecan? Like, oh, this is going to be fun. Like, well, it's a, it's a seed. What's a seed? Well, it, you put it under the dirt, and it becomes a tree. Uh, it's also good in a pie. Right? We also sprinkle it on brownies. and yeah, it's, like, We can eat it, but if you put it under the dirt, it's, and he's like, it's going to become a tree. Now think about this for just a minute. I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, horticulture and how things grow, but there's some debate among horticulturalists about when life actually begins for a seed. Some think that seeds are alive when they fall off, and that they are alive under the dirt, and that at a certain point in time, they just start sprouting. Others believe that the, the, actually the seed contains everything that's needed to be alive, but isn't alive until like it starts to germinate. Like something happens, the right amount of moisture and temperature happens, and all of a sudden, every, all the elements come together, and boom, it springs to life. Okay, So we'll stick with the latter. I, I don't really know which one it is, and I don't really care, but for this illustration, let's go with the latter, because here's what's happening in the life of a believer. Think about this. The word says that you and I were dead before Christ. So what happened? The Holy Spirit of God came into your life and made you alive. Now, what I was trying to explain to Hudson is this, that what's going to happen is if you put it underground, it's going to start to sprout. He's like, what is it? I was like, well, it's going to get like a little trunk and little leaves, and then all of a sudden it's going to pop out of the dirt. Well, here's another question. When does it become a tree? Is it a tree when it's a seed? Or does it have to be a certain height before it's a tree? Like, as hard as that is to explain is as hard as it is to explain the maturity and the growth of a believer. Like, that thing is alive even when it's under dirt. It's already got leaves forming when it's under dirt, and when it springs out, right, it was already a tree that's been exposed. And as it grows, it's becoming every day more of what it already is. That's why Paul said, when I first started this journey, I was like a child. I thought like a child. I acted like a child. Now I'm thinking like a man. You know how I got here? I started dropping junk. I started letting go of stuff. Throwing off these things that entangle me and hinder me. Letting go of childish ways. Becoming every day more and more what I already was. It's a pecan tree on day one. However, it doesn't look like one for a while. And then one day, guess what? It's going to get big, and then, and then all of a sudden... It's going to look out and go, whoa, what are those things? Fruit, what's fruit? How did that get out there? This is the life of a believer. You go out there trying to work hard and make fruit happen, you're going to get frustrated. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your focus on him. Keep your affections and your loves pointed at him. Then when sin comes up, it's like, I love Jesus so much that I can just let go of this junk. And then you're going to look out one day and go, whoa, what's that? Fruit? How did that happen? Here's how it happened. The Holy Spirit of God is perfecting in you what he began. 
Christian, you need to hear that. If you're in Christ today, you're living in the in-between. And I know it gets frustrating. When these people come up for baptism, what they are not saying is, expect me to be perfect in my actions and my words and my deeds tomorrow. What they are saying is this, expect me tomorrow to be becoming what I already am in Christ today. I'm, 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 I'm confessing what I believe, that Jesus has forgiven my sin and made me whole and given me his holiness. However, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up sh- struggling in the in-between, right? And, and think about that tree when it's under the dirt. I mean, struggle, right? Just uh, trying to become what it knows it's supposed to be. I mean, how frustrating would that be? Like, I know if I push hard enough, I'm going to get out of the, like, I'm going to be able to see daylight. Ah, oh, Finally. And so these people are saying, listen, I'm just, I'm just a small seed planted, but, I, but I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. Like, he's perfecting this in me. Come back next year and see how tall I am in Christ. And any hindrance to that will be what I've tried to do on my own efforts. All right. I want to shift to baptism now. And so I want to invite those who are... Um, going to be baptized today to come down to the front, maybe just find a spot. Some of you are already down here. There's a couple of seats over here by Hallie and Hudson. And uh, just in way of just fresh reminder, I want to share with you two things, okay? Um, the scriptures teach that, uh, that baptism is, um, first of all, it's a symbol. It's an expression. I call it a snapshot, okay, of something that has already happened, Okay, so you're not getting into the water to have sins forgiven. You're getting into the water because you have already had sins forgiven, and you want the world to know it. So this symbolism, this snapshot, actually becomes a proclamation. So every person who's getting baptized is saying something about what they believe, right? So here's what they're saying. First of all, that person is saying, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, we are excited about this baptism today, aren't we? The second thing is this. The person that is being baptized is proclaiming and saying, I believe that through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that I can have forgiveness of sins. The third thing that, this per- that the person being baptized is proclaiming is this. I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation. And so that's what you're about to see. And uh, if you're here today and you're a believer, I hope this will stir up in you just a rich um, reminder of the joy of your own salvation. And for those who are not Christians, I hope you see today that this is not um, the call to be perfect in your living. It's the call to say, Jesus is making me perfect. And he's inviting you into that relationship.